0: Last time we were together, we went to Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 46. And look at the uh, discussion that Jesus had with one of the Pharisees, and how that that person was not far from the kingdom of God. But we all know that not being far does not mean you're in the kingdom of God. So I've encountered these kind of people many times myself on college campuses on the streets. They seem not far, but they're not there yet. Uh, it's like a woman having false labor, so to speak. She's pregnant, baby's coming, but not yet. Let's hope the baby actually comes. And so when we see someone in that situation, we should not uh, We should continue to persevere with them if we're able to. There was a uh, cliché I gave you that has five words in it, and three of them start with R. Does anyone remember that cliché? Yes, Very good. Glad you remembered that. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. And I truly believe that. I've seen that Uh, experientially. I think the Bible, although it doesn't say that, explicitly teaches as a principle um, that what flows from our life and knowing Christ is eternal life and is obedience to His commandments. Uh, So if your Christian life Simply consistent rules to obey, but there's no relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to have rebellion eventually. (coughs) Because uh, as John 15 says, you know, we are the vine. By the vine, we are the branches. Unless we're in that vine, we're abiding in Him, remaining in Him, we're not going to produce much fruit for His glory. Of course, you can produce 30, 60, 100 fold. Don't as much as we can. We don't want to be be, uh, satisfied with just 30 fold. He wants a hundredfold, as much as he can possibly do in us. Uh, 30, 60, a hundredfold? Yeah. That's in the parable of the sower, I believe. It's in Matthew 13, verse 23. Matthew 13, 23. The rules of that relationship equals rebellion. And then we saw, uh, we focused most of our time last time on this Jesus being called the son of David. How then can David call him Lord? And we saw that the reason that is is because even though Jesus came in front of one of David's descendants, Mary, he also preceded David, and um, so Jesus was correcting their understanding of the Messiah and showing them that He was the Messiah, and uh, they had nothing to say, of course. Okay, so let's go today in Matthew twenty-three. And we're going to go through verse 15. So let's go ahead and read that. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. To all their works they do, to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you, do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and your all-brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. For he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Okay, so Jesus is speaking. This is the last week of his, of his life on earth. Um, before he's, he's put death on the cross speaking in temple courts speaking to uh, his disciples and the multitudes, and as you can see uh, it's not just them that are nearby the scribes and Pharisees are nearby too and uh, hopefully we'll finish up chapter 23 next week um, it says in verse 2 the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat one thing you got to realize, understand about the Jewish uh, religion is they stand up when they read the word of God you see it sometimes in Christian churches too is out of respect for the word of God, and they sit when they teach. That's a sign of authority when you're sitting. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. Uh, the scribes interpret the Pharisee and, and teach, and the Pharisees teach as well. So they sit in Moses' seat. They have authority. They're teaching. They're interpreting uh, the law of Moses. It says in verse 3, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But not do, not do according to their works for they do not they say and do not do. okay this cannot be an unconditional all statement here because we see all throughout the scripture Jesus telling the exact opposite. Let's go to Matthew fifteen just for a second here. Matthew what? 15 Matthew chapter 15 <clears throat> There's lots of things as we've seen throughout our study in Matthew that the Pharisees and scribes added to the word of God uh, that was not from the law of Moses. Now, if they're teaching the actual law of Moses, that's the part you should, obe- he's telling his disciples and people who are listening, that's the part you should observe and do. Okay, but Once they go outside of that, they're not sitting in Moses' seat any longer, because they're not teaching the law of Moses. They're sitting in their own seat upon their own authority, not upon the authority of God, or upon the authority of, of Moses' law, but upon their own seat. And just this, this, beware of this, friends, that this can happen to us as well. When you try to get people to do what you are doing with your life, but it's a preference for you, not something the Bible explicitly says, you no longer have the authority of God behind you, you have only your own authority behind you. And so we need to beware of that as well, and beware of teachers who will do the very same thing. They'll give you doctrines, but they don't have any Bible or They say they do. Don't get me wrong. They, they'll say they do. But they don't really have Bible verses to back it up. And they're not teaching the traditions of God or the Word of God. They're teaching the traditions of man. And therefore, there's no authority behind them. So, Matthew 15, and verse 1. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Not of Moses, of the elders. They do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your traditions. Hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so this happened quite often with the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, where they're not teaching the doctrines of God, uh, but the doctrines of men. Matthew 12 is another example of this, uh, where they say... starting in verse 22, that, I'm not going to read through the whole passage here, down to verse 30, that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus, of course, refutes that, but they're teaching these things. And when someone's a teacher, in the eyes of the people, they have authority, they're distinguished. You know, I could compare it to this thing if someone has a PhD behind their name, or a DR in front of their name maybe they have a master's degree. And all of a sudden, because they have these things, they're looked upon with respect and honor. And sometimes it's due, that, you know, give honor to who honor is due, and sometimes it's not. But just because someone has that does not mean they're telling you the truth. And so, they're doing, they're saying these things to these people, and they're having influence upon them. We'll get to that here in a second here. But those are the things they should not be doing when they say these things. So this is not... An all-inclusive statement here by Jesus in verse 3 is to be interpreted in light of verse 2 that what they say from Moses' law, that observe and do. Not all things. And um, it says, do not do according to their works, though. For they say, and do not do. If you come upon a person who, even if they're a sound teacher, but they're a hypocrite, I'd run from them if I were you. I have nothing to do with them. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Yes. Run from hypocrites. (laughs) Let them not uh, adjourn you to go the same way they're going. Let's go to Romans 2 for a second here. And uh, Paul talks about, not necessarily about the, he doesn't mention the Pharisees and the scribes here, but surely this applies to them in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 17. And you'll see that the view the Gentiles had of the Jews. I would liken it to the view... The unbelievers have professing Christians here in America. And the results are the same, too. Because of hypocrisy. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent in being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who have poor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man, a Gentile, keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh." But he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcised as that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, uh, but from God. So even though Paul is not talking about the Pharisees here, and doesn't mention them anyway, surely this applies. It doesn't just apply to teachers, it applies to everybody. Okay, It applies to everybody. And so he says, do not do what they do. And according to, um, I believe it's Luke. Uh, 12 or 11, I think. Um, what is the 11 of the Pharisees? Do remember what that is? Hypocrisy. That's right. That is 11. Luke, uh, that's actually Luke 12, 1. I have it right here in my notes. didn't even look at it. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. The 11 of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. For they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. This bind heavy burden is likened to what the master would do to his hard-working farm animal. He would tie together these heavy loads, put them on a donkey's back, and he would go. Now the point of the donkey is to make him carry these heavy things, so the master does not have to move one finger. When it comes to someone who's teaching the law of God to somebody... They're not willing to help them one bit to accomplish what they're telling them to accomplish. they're setting them up for failure. and it shows their lack of care, their lack of compassion, their lack of love for such a person. And isn't this the exact opposite of what we see in the Lord Jesus? Well he doesn't bind heavy burdens and not move one finger. and Luke uh, Matthew 11:28 it says, "Come to me, all you who will labor and are heavy laden. those are the ones the Pharisees are teaching. They're heavy laden with these burdens, they put it on top of them, and they okay, go ahead, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. And I will give you rest, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. They're the exact opposite of Jesus. These Pharisees, these hypocrites. That's the way the Lord Jesus handles things so we all do, whenever we're teaching someone the word of God, we do what we can to help them. To help them to accomplish what we are teaching them. That's the way Jesus is. He said so we want to be like him. Okay, so they, they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them one of their fingers. That's, hypocrisy, that's 11 of their hypocrisy. That all their works they do to be seen by men, and whose reward will they have then? Well, a man's reward. They won't have God's reward. So they've gotten their reward. But they do things to be seen by men. Beware of that temptation, friends. You know, you're living a holy life. You know, if you're living a holy life and you're obeying God and reading His Word and you're in your prayer life, you know you're different than everybody else. But don't let that go to your head. What comes to mind is this song Keith Green sings where he says, When I'm doing well, what's the, what's the last part of that letter? Never seek crown. Help me to never, never seek a crown. Yeah. Glory. For my reward is giving glory to you. When I am doing well, help me to not seek a crown. For my glory, for my reward is giving glory to you. That's a lyric from a song Keith Green sings. So it's good truth there. Because once you're doing well, you might let down your guard a little bit. They say, "Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not engaged in this or this or this. I'm not like the world. I'm a living a holy life. I'm not, I don't have bad doctrine in my in my life when it comes to the Bible." Ah, now you put your guard down. Now the devil's got you. I think you should be prideful, and so you need to beware of that. To not and not only prideful is that I'm doing good, but then to be given to the the temptation to do things for the praise of men. Men start giving you praise. It's okay for men to give honor where honor is due. It's okay for men to be thankful and to be encouraging towards saints of God who have blessed them. But beware that you allow that to go to your head if that happens. And then you start to do things for men's because you like the the praise they are given. You start doing things for them instead of for God. They make their phylacteries broad. Now phylactery is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 for a second here. Phylactery was a uh, leather box uh, that was attached to the frontless between the eyes, right here, yep. and it had a leather strap going around. And inside this leather container, this leather box, they would put little scripture. scripture's in there. Uh, I would liken to a modern-day Christian having a strap around their head and putting Bible verses, you know, little note cards in there, you know, little stuff it in there, like this, okay? So sure, it had to be smaller than this, but uh, Deuteronomy 6, eight. they took this very literal, this uh, verse here, and um, said, you shall bind them, talking about the law of God here, and the word of God, uh, you shall bind them with a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And some of these phylacteries were even called frontlets. That's what they called them. So they took this... this very literal here in verse 8, not figurative that you should have it in your mind, you should be thinking about it and meditating upon it, but you should have it actually on your head, okay? Um, and so they, they're doing these things, though, not to necessarily help them remember the Word of God, which would be a good thing to do. I mean, if you had the Word of God in your head, just sitting there all day, I mean, it'd be a constant reminder of it. Although you might get used to it after a while and forget it's there. So it loses purpose. So, But they took this literally, and they were using this not as a way to remind them of God's law and to obey God's law, but to say, look how big my phylacters are. Look how many Bible verses I have in there. I know more than you do. That's kind of the way they were using it. And, uh, you know, if I were to take all my note cards and, and Bible verses and just put them on top of my hand and just look bigger, sticking out this far, it's like, ah. Brother Kevin, yours is only this big, but mine's this big. I'm smarter than you. And that's what they were doing. And so... Uh, they were doing it to be seen by men. Not for God's glory, but to be seen by men. And it says, they also enlarged the borders of their garments. Another verse they're taking, uh, Numbers fifteen thirty-eight. Now, this was literal. Uh, this is talking about the tassels that they had of their garments here. Numbers 15, Numbers, Numbers 15, verse 38. This is in verse 37, again, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread in the tassels of their corners. You shall have the tassel that you may look upon it, and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them, that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes incline, that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy For your Lord. It's always a symbolic thing they use to help them remember. It kind of be like a Christian WWJD bracelet, you know, something like that. It's helping remember them to obey the commandments of God. But, But they wanted people to know they're really trying to remember, so they made them even broader and bigger and had more tassels on them and said, Look, I'm really, really trying to remember the law of God. But if they were doing that for God's glory, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. Nothing intrinsically wrong with having that around their head and taking it literally and putting verses in it. But there is something wrong with the people's hearts who are doing it. And, um, you know, if we're memorizing Bible verses so we can, you know, flaunt our memory before people, there's something wrong with that. See, even the good things, things that God commands, can become bad things. Even the things that God commands, if they're not done with the right heart and the right motive, can become bad things. You know, in our fellowship, we, we... appreciate dressing modestly. Believing dressing modestly can become a bad thing if you're doing it, because let's, let's face it, our women in this fellowship stand out. They're different than the rest of the world. But even in their hearts, they could say, well, I'm going to stand out, and they're still trying to attract attention to themselves. So even good things like dressing modestly, memorizing scripture, can become bad if done with the wrong motive and with the wrong heart. To get attention and praise from man. Not doing it for God's glory alone. They enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the the best places at feast. The best seats in the synagogue. Let's look at what Jesus said about this in Luke 14. What he instructed his uh, disciples to do. Starting in verse 7. Luke 14 and verse 7. He's actually at a Pharisee's house here. Uh, and this is be- this would, chronologically speaking would be before Matthew 23. So this is like a a warning almost to these Pharisees. And now it, once they didn't heed it, in Matthew 23 he gives them a rebuke. So in verse 7 it says, So he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame, take the lowest place. When you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher, and you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Whoever exalts himself will be humble, and whoever humbles himself himself will be exalted. And uh, we know that I think Jesus is referring to here is that while we're on earth we need to humble ourselves. Our reward is not here. The reward in the kingdom. And he who is least shall be the greatest. And so he instructs the Pharisees and his disciples in that, that meal that that's the way to do things. For the, the Pharisees and the scribes are the exact opposite. They love the best places. So do not seek the honor of man. Seek the honor of God. Who cares what man says? Who cares what they think? Seek, seek the honor of God and the pleasure of him in what you do. It will be the greetings in the marketplace and be called by men rabbi rabbi. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers for one is your teacher, the Christ. So what are we to make of these verses here? These are can be controversial, I guess, because some people will take uh really literal, that you can't even call your... like I couldn't call my, my father Greg Skelly. I couldn't call him father. Or that my children can't call me father. But that's not what it's saying here. Um, and if that was the case, we would have a problem with the rest of the scripture. We see... I'm going to give you some references I'm not going to go to every single verse, but I have lots of verses here that talk about this. And I'm going to give you some references. If you want to write them down, I'll go a little slower. Uh, but the first verse I'm going to give you about... Calling someone on earth an earthly father, like I would call my father, or maybe my grandfather, father in that sense. We see in Acts chapter seven and verse two that Stephen called Abraham our father while he's speaking to Jewish people. Okay, now he's not meaning father in the faith; he's meaning father genealogically. Okay, physical descendant. Uh, we see the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter four and verse one. He calls Abraham our father. Once again, talking to Jewish people. And again, in Romans 9.10, he calls uh, Isaac our father, which he's a father as well. And then we see James, the half-brother of Jesus, in James chapter 2 and verse 21, call Abraham our father as well. So it can't mean that, um, you know, that Daniel can't call Brother John his father. doesn't mean that. okay? Or that Malachi can't call me father. It's not what it means here. Okay, that's not even the context. We can see the context here in a second. What about this spiritual father, spiritual son type of thing? Um, you know, the Apostle Paul is always using this kind of language. Okay, uh, when he's in the Corinthian church in First Corinthians chapter four. Let's just go to that one for a second here. Look at one of these. First Corinthians chapter four, starting in verse fourteen. <laughs> All right, to the church of Corinth in chapter 4 and verse 14 of 1 Corinthians, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, and you do not have many fathers. For in Christ, yes, I have begotten you through the gospel, therefore I urge you, imitate me. Okay, so um, he can't be talking about genealogically. Because as far as I know, Paul had no physical children. Okay? And besides that, he's writing to, to mostly pagans in Corinth, not Jewish people. And so he's talking about him preaching the gospel, and they get saved in his ministry, and he begins to disciple them. So in that sense, he is their spiritual father, and they are his spiritual children. Uh, we see the same thing, Paul, I'm not going to go through all these, but I'll just give you the references if you want to write them down. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14. Paul does the same thing. And let's look at another example in Timothy here, where he does the same thing to Timothy. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. I'll just start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. So once again, using this sonship thing here, and then in verse 18, um, he says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that you may wage the good warfare. So he's calling Timothy his son in the faith. Then the same thing with Timothy in 2 Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 2? Also in 2 Timothy, chapter 2 and verse 1. And then in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2 and verse 22, uh, he's talking about Timothy again here, right in the Philippian church. He says, but you know, Timothy's proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Okay, so once again, talk about the spiritual fatherhood, spiritual sonship. And I don't even think that, uh, at least I have no recollection of this, that Paul led Timothy to Christ. He was already a Christian when he came upon him. but he discipled him, and Timothy eventually became a leader in the church. We see the same thing being used in Titus chapter 1 and verse 4. Also in uh, Philemon 10. There's no chapters in Philemon. Philemon 10. And also in Galatians chapter four, verse nineteen, Paul talking to the Galatians, Galatian church here. He says, "My little children, for whom I labor and birth ki- birth again until Christ is formed in you." So, really, he's likening himself to a spiritual mother there, because fathers don't labor don't labor in birth pains. Okay, so uh, I don't think this things he's talking about, that twenty, the fathership is talking about having a spiritual, because that would contradict what Paul is saying here, the country, what the Holy Spirit is saying, through Paul, the Holy Spirit does not contradict himself, so, what I think it's term- talking about here, of course, we see in the context is exalting yourself, being prideful, uh, not being a servant leader, and to some degree, I think we see this in some churches, like we see that in like the Roman Catholic Church, they're called Father, the Greek Orthodox Church, they call them Father, it's not a sense where they're their spiritual father, spiritual son. It's a sense of, like, you're over me. You're, you're above me. You know, uh, I, I, I can't question what you're saying. That kind of stuff. And what I see in the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church where are using these titles, Father. In fact, a lot of times you'll see the FR before their names. That doesn't mean friar, by the way. It means Father. If think a while back, it meant friar. You know, but it means Father. Are you guys say something, brother?
1: I'm sorry, like reverend.
0: Yeah. Yes. 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 Same thing with that. Okay. Then this an is issue with teacher, <coughs> and um, you know we we know in Ephesians four eleven and twelve, and then also First Corinthians twelve twenty eight that God gives teachers to the church. Okay, we know that for a fact. But also that besides that, uh, Paul calls himself a teacher. First Timothy chapter two, <coughs> and verse seven. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 7 For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am speaking the truth in Christ, but not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And then in chapter 3 and verse 2, an overseer, a bishop, a pastor, a shepherd should be able to teach. The last part of uh, verse 3 of chapter 3. Uh, sorry, verse 2 of chapter 3, the last part of that. Let me see in Second te- Timothy chapter 1, in verse 11, Paul does the same thing again. He says, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. And so even calling yourself a teacher is not necessarily wrong. What Jesus is literally getting at here is this ruling over people, this, uh, you know, I'm above everybody kind of attitude, that these Pharisees had and these scribes had. And he's telling the disciples, don't be that way. You're gonna be a servant. You know, so when someone's a teacher in the church of God, or a pastor, or a leader, or an apostle, or a prophet, they're not to be treated with oh, you know, like they're upon a pedestal, and you're to look up to them that way. Okay? It's it's they're a servant. And that should be their attitude towards you. They should be a servant. Uh, considering themselves lowly. Not thinking of themselves higher than they ought to. Okay? Uh, a teacher is no more important to the church than someone who's not a teacher. All the body of Christ needs you. You can't say it another part. I don't need you. Again, not one is more important than the Yes, brother.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say that a lot of people, they look at the name rabbi, uh, they, they say it just means teacher. But
1: traditionally,
0: it means great one. That's a traditional meaning of the word rabbi. Right, right. Thank you for sharing that. But th- that's that's the point Jesus is making here. Not only that, the point is not to point towards teachers or point towards rabbis or point towards pastors or anything else. It's a point towards who? God. That's what teachers should do. They should point you to Christ. Point you to God. Okay. That's the point Jesus is making here. That's why he says, you have one father. You have one teacher. That's the point. Them. They're the point. Not some human person. They are the point. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. And it says in verse 11 once again, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Of course, I think that's talking about in judgment... That's when the humility and the exaltation will come. Of course, it can happen before then. Uh, but that's when it will come. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is verse 13. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Interesting statement there. They're not going in, obviously. They say they're in. But have they gone through the right door? Uh, have they gone through the... The door of the sheep pen, or they tried to climb over the wall. And those who try to climb over the wall are robbers and thieves. They're false teachers. And so not only are they not entering themselves because they're a false and not believing in Christ, they're rejecting Christ. Remember, they, they've called his miracles of the devil, even, they've gone that far. They're also telling other people that, that his teachings are of the devil, and therefore their influence is leading others astray. And not letting them to enter in. It's like they're putting a lock on the door. In fact, go to Luke 11 for a second here. Now, this is earlier, chronologically speaking. <clears throat> and a lot of, if you look at Luke eleven thirty-seven through 54, a lot of the same stuff's being said here, but not the same time. It's Luke 11, verse 37 through 50, uh, 54, is actually at a meal at a Pharisee's house. And so he said a lot of the same things there. And you can see in verse 53 and 54 their response. The first 52 is what I'm getting at here. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who are entering in you hindered. And one of the keys of knowledge, I'm not sure if this is the actual key they're talking about here, but one of the keys of knowledge is the law of God. The law of God not only shows us we're sinners in need of a Savior, but it shows who Christ is. It's a tutor to lead us to Christ. The the Old Testament prophesies over and over again about Christ and points to him and shows them who he is. And when Christ came, if they were studying the law of God and the prophets, they would have seen, wow, this guy's fulfilling so many prophecies. This has got to be the Christ. This has got to be the Messiah. That's not what happened. Because they were being taught the traditions of men instead. And so they took the key of knowledge away. They took the law of God away and, and focused on all these details the law of God did not elaborate on. And they gave them all these things instead, and it shut people out of the kingdom. It took the key of knowledge away. And so they, want, they not only were they not going in, but those who want to go who were on their way, they led them the other direction. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is verse 14. For you devour widows' houses devour, they consume, they take widows' houses. This is something that's of many false teachers. Uh, we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's just go there for a second. 2 Timothy chapter 3. is a constant characteristic. They take advantage of the weak. Chapter 3 and verse 5 of 2 Timothy. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. So they're taking captive of women who are their widows, who are mourning. And a woman is in mourning. She's emotional. She's not really thinking where their head was She's thinking about her feelings. And so this guy comes in and makes her feel good. And it does. He sneaks stuff off from underneath her. Takes her money. Takes even her houses. Taking her possessions. And that's what false teachers do. We see this again in uh Second Peter chapter two. And verse fourteen. It says having eyes, talking about false teachers again, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. So they covetous, they have a heart trained in covetous practice and they entice unstable souls, which is, a lot of times widows are, are unstable because of the situations that happen in their lives. But this is the exact opposite of what a perfect and undefiled religion is to take care of widows and orphans, and of course to keep yourself unspotted from the world. That's pure and perfect religion. They're the exact opposite. They're imperfect and defiled religion, which is why they're not entering into the kingdom. And for a pretense, uh, false motive, that's what pretense means, for a false motive is make long prayers. And Some of the stuff I've, I've read, they can pray anywhere from three to nine hours straight. And uh, oftentimes, I think it was saying the same thing over and over again, because that's what you see in Matthew 6, Jesus' is rebuking. And so, But they, they don't do it because... They're actually praying to God and and want to worship Him and what they're just doing it for man. To see those, oh man, he's so eloquent in his prayers, man. I wish I could pray like him. No, you don't. No, you don't. A pure prayer before God is crying out to Him, looking unto Him, praising Him, worshiping Him, making your needs known to Him. You know, interceding on behalf of others. All out of a pure motive. That is the prayer you want to do. That's the kind of prayer you want to do. A passionate prayer that shows, I don't care if you me to think or say. You're a God thinks or says. Now look at the conclusion in verse 14 of their actions. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. I've this many times in this, this fellowship that people who have more knowledge have greater accountability. And greater knowledge, not obeyed, equals greater, greater condemnation. So, you know, reading the Word of God and knowing it and being raised in the Christian household makes you more accountable, more responsible than anyone else. And if you don't obey the knowledge you have, you have greater condemnation. And you can see this all throughout Matthew 10, 11, and 12. And we've gone through that many times in this fellowship. And then the last verse for today, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Some people think that Jews just kind of kept to themselves. No, they made proselytes. You see this on the day of Pentecost. There were proselytes there when they were talking about, oh, we hear them speak in our language. There was proselytes from all over the place. Who came there on the day of Pentecost? Um, you can see that in Acts 6 and Acts 13 as well, there's proselytes. And the proselytes are people who once were polytheists, believed in many gods, and became a follower of the one true God of Judaism. But oftentimes, when you have a false teacher, their disciples are worse than them. They're more zealous than them. Uh, they're more hellbound than them. They're more vicious than them. And you see this a lot. You look down through history. Some of the worst false teachers, people who followed them and followed their teachings, were much worse than they were. Well, no, I'd, I'd say that Beza, Peter Beza, who was the son in law of John Calvin, and he was much worse, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, Zwingli um, and Calvin, they, they weren't really tied together too much. I mean, they were both reformers. Uh, but uh, yeah, Zwingli got pretty bad later on, too. He was agreeing with the Anabaptists at first. But, you know, verse 15 shows that don't, don't be deceived to thinking that they're not making converts. Uh, because, you know, we, we go up to verse 13, we say, look, you, you're shutting the kingdom of heaven against people, they're, you're not going either of they, but they're still making converts. And just because someone's making converts to their religion does not mean it's true. Oftentimes we'll hear, and we're out on the streets preaching, or in the college campuses, well, how many people did you lead to Christ today? You know, well, whether someone comes to Christ or not through the preaching of the truth or the teaching of the truth, does not uh, denounce what that person is saying or doing. Even if you have lots of people coming, think Joel Osteen, lots of people coming, does not mean that person is telling the truth. In fact, it's the exact opposite. If I had a lot, if we had thousands of people here, I would think to myself, man, am I doing anything
2: wrong
1: here? I
0: I would really think that. If it was growing to that size, and that may happen someday, but I would really reconsider, man, what is going on here? There's a guy named Francis Chan, did the very same thing. They started as a small fellowship, and grew, and grew, and grew, and and he thought to himself, man, am I doing something wrong? leaving that church because he he couldn't take it and it was, it was unfixable for him. He couldn't fix what had been done. And how bad his local church had become, how unbiblical it had become and he couldn't fix it. And um, so just because numbers is not equal truth, you know, Jesus in John 6 lost everybody, 5,000 men you, who, who followed him after he fed up all of them, he lost them all except for his disciples. They all left him. Uh, Jesus, you know, you can if you want to talk about church growth methods, you can look at his for the worst church growth methods possible, you know, from the world stand because he lost 80, when he got arrested, he lost them all. You know, his his best top one denied him three times. You know, so yeah, yeah. So numbers is not equal truth. Truth equals truth, and we are to proclaim the truth and let God and free will determine the rest of it. So, they were winning, winning proselytes. They just weren't winning, winning proselytes converts to the truth. They were winning them to their lies. Okay, well, I said all I'm going to say for now. Does anyone have any uh, thing they want to add or any questions or objections?
1: I just had a thought about the, uh, I think a kind of a simple way for me to, to remember that is it's more about an activity, not a title. About the activity of teaching not the title of teacher. Mm-hmm. Or you know, the activity of being a father than being called father of the faith or right. you know. So I mean, that's a, good, that's a for
0: Yeah, I'd say we're not to seek after titles or positions. There's calling God gives so it, but we're not to seek after to be called a title or to have a certain position. Uh, and by
1: title, I mean the authority thing. That, that's right, right. I agree.
0: <coughs> there's, there's people who I, I, I've seen who have. There's one guy comes to mind particularly who you know has a PhD, and, and I think one debate I watched him have against somebody else, they, they called him Mister something instead of Doctor something, and he got offended by that, <laughs> and. Uh, who cares, man? I mean, it's just... it should offend somebody. You know.
3: So. In uh, verse 4, i never heard this, I'm not sure. You brought up the same verse I was thinking about, talking about binding heavy burdens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it has, it has to do with somebody's interpretation also of what the law is. Like they bound... We saw they were interpreting it and adding on to it, and Jesus was saying, you know, no, I, I do it the right way. It's in loving ways, in mercy, it's It's in proper justice.
0: Like in healing on the Sabbath and fucking yeah, yeah, corn, fucking wheat. Yeah. 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 yeah they're, they're, they're binding heavy burdens there. I don't think it's necessarily just the law itself. It was their twisting the law. Yeah. That's
3: what I mean. They're, yeah. they're binding, adding stuff onto it, and right. making it harder and harder than it should
0: be. I mean, Acts 15 and verse 10, uh, Peter does say, in the first Jerusalem Council, that it was too much for their fathers to bear. Yeah. yeah. And we're just talking about the law itself.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So the law itself, including all, not just the moral commandments, now all the commandments was too hard for them to bear. Uh, but there was purposes in that as well. Mm-hmm. But I think, right here, I think it's talking about their interpretation of it.
3: Yeah, yeah. That reminds me even, like, when I speak to people who say they can't stop sinning, even people who know the scripture well will say, like, you know, if you do something that is 99% for you, God, and 1% for you, then you, you sin. Right. Who thinks about, like, I do something 99% for me and for right. 99% for God? Right. Like, they're adding on something on there that's not there right. in order to try and find sin in somebody. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we've got we to be careful of two extremes, Uh Making things sins that aren't sins mm-hmm. and making things not sins that mm-hmm. are sins. Mm-hmm. So we need to be very careful of these two things.
1: i As I comment on the
2: same basic topic, uh, you know, out preaching, a lot of times we uh, uh, hear people say, well, Jesus did away with the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus uh, replaced the law. And here in, in Matthew 23, uh, he's telling them, you know, as long as you're teaching the law, do it. Right. Obey it. Right. And then even in uh, Matthew uh, 5, 17-20, uh, right. he says, uh, Do Excuse not me. think I that I came to destroy the law right. or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I shall say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So here it's it's clearly saying that the law is not going to pass away until heaven and earth passes away and also it's saying here that we have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees the righteousness of the Pharisees is they said to obey the law but they didn't do it external and you know like you t- taught in the past uh, at least in the kingdom of heaven means you're in hell Yeah, it means you're in the lake of fire right. uh, so that, that's what happens when you break the law and teach others to break the law so that's making a proselyte twice the son of hell as yourself right so I mean, it's like that's like a, almost a summary
0: That whole section. That's very good. Thanks for bringing it up. At least in the kingdom of heaven, talking about the sphere of of Christ's domain, which is all the, you know, Christ is ruler over hell, too. I had a friend recently, he he was sharing a tract that he was writing, and he said that, uh, you know, that uh, hell is not necessarily a punishment, but that it's separation from God. And so I had to explain it to him how that was wrong and how even in hell, God is there. He's omnipresent. And so he, he's there, even there. Now they are separated from God in relationship to him forever, but they're separated from God here on earth, sinners. So that's not going to make them feel the fear of God or make them be, feel warned because they're, they could they love their sin. They could care less about having a relationship with God. And so hell is a punishment according to Second uh, Thessalonians 1, 179, everlasting destruction He said, punish them with. And so it is a punishment place. But that but there is an absence of course in, in hell of God's love and God and hope of God and the gospel of God there's no longer any of that offered to the sinners who end up going there but that was good thanks for bringing up had a question
1: about. put a, a blue thread in the of the thing. Right. What's that blue thread? Do you remember what that blue thread is supposed to signify? Oh. I knew this at one point in time.
0: I, I, knew I actually have some of those somewhere. Okay.
1: Yeah, I know it signifies something with Yeah. The everything. It, it, I think the it's Jewish like, star
0: yeah. is always blue. I know it has something to do with that. I mean, it's all tied and that's the color of Israel for some reason. I'm yeah. not sure what the blue is symbolizing. Okay,
1: we could we could research Here's that.
2: There's so. a verse in the Old Testament that does talk about what that color means as a meaning. I think this means honor. I think, but I,
1: I, I'm just doing a vague recollection. I can't remember. I'll hope look that
3: up. There's also a verse I was thinking about uh, for when you were mentioning somebody thinking they're, they're going well and be careful. I hear what verse it is now. Uh, I was saying be careful when you're steadfast, lest you fall. There's a verse where Paul warned
0: something
3: like that. 1 Corinthians
0: 10 oh, yeah. 12. Yeah. But him who thinks he stands take heed lest be he uh, sure.
3: mm-hmm. yeah. you mentioned that? Like something's on my mind. can where it's
1: uh, Right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ten yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh the Oh
0: yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh you yeah. yeah. And yeah. I I actually bought some of those a while back, probably five, six years ago. Interesting.
1: Yeah, well, we're on kind of kind of along the same topic, uh, that I have in my mind, the uh, I think it's called the tal- talit, the prayer shawl, uh-huh. and uh, the the uh, the rabbis covering their covering their head when they pray. Mm-hmm. Is that is that at all
3: biblical?
0: I don't see anywhere in the Bible.
1: Yeah, because I thought that contradicts what
0: it says. You even see pictures of the Jesus. Sure. the yeah, of Jesus, see, where We yeah. see that. We just yeah. we just
1: mm-hmm. watched the the Peter. We got we got the Peter. Okay. I think last supper. I actually like that. Yeah, I like it too. But you have him in the garden, you know, with the yeah. with the. Yeah. I don't know why the toilet, they do that. The, the prayer shawl that they, they, yeah. they put on. I know nothing about that in the Bible. Yeah, I've been trying to look for it. It's The exact opposite. Yeah. they would probably normally wear that they still do it you know, today this actually from the sun right. when he's praying to take it off oh, yeah. you know, okay. I've done, I'm just making a supposition but I would think that would be the case yeah. in the Middle East it's the they yeah. sun blazes right? they, still, the, they still use that they yeah. still do that prayer shawl today All that, you know, the, yes. the, the, yeah. the Jews do that not only that they wear hats when mm. they pray yeah. 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 Jews might have a black yeah. hat on yeah. of them. that's right. or right. yeah no,
0: there's I'm talking about a real hat, but you're talking about <laughs> yeah, that. I'm talking about the little hat yeah. on the back of your head. that
2: covers the bald spot. About, you're talking about the one that sticks up. <laughs> yeah, you're talking really about
3: good. the bald spot cover. Yeah, yeah the, the bald spot cover. <laughs> I could use one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so, so good Mine would have to be
0: pretty big. <laughs> 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 hey, 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 Tracy, no heresy. Yep. No hair I see. No hair. <laughs> oh <my> no <laughs> heretic. I don't see any hair, and I don't see any ticks either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you don't have hair, then you can't get ticks in there.
3: Thanks for reminding me of
0: that. (laughs) Heresy. (laughs) (laughs) Heresy. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Heresy. I think it probably does have its basis in this traditions of men. Yeah, Yeah. along with what along with what these parasites are doing. Yeah, but uh, it just bothers me you have the movies they have Jesus doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey,
2: but he washed. He was short-haired, brother. He was short-haired. I was like, what? Yes, that's was, right. When, I, when, You know, when it fanned yeah. out, I was like, right. it be Jesus. Right you know? on,
3: short-haired. But then when they showed Jesus, I was like, what? He's got short hair. So I was like, hey, okay. that's a change. Um, the worst one I've seen I saw when i parents heard, it, it was the King of Kings one. You ever seen that one? Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Like, they cut out so much scripture, they make Jesus like a googly guy guy. Every time somebody yeah. gets, like, saved, they're like, his eyes turn all watery. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> you have to go see clothes, it. It's so bad. They cut uh, out so much stuff in the sky. They're a twirl. I don't know if
1: I'm watching that. So I do recommend watching that. Peter, you've seen it, right?
0: Good. Yeah, I, I was half awake, half asleep, half though. Half awake, half asleep. When you awake, good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <You're not> good. <laughs> <laughs> Angel was fully asleep.
0: <laughs> At least I was half <laughs> awake. Well, I, tab was
1: fully asleep, too. Ten, <laughs> she gets the 10-minute tab rule. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's it. 10-minute ten <laughs> ten <laughs> window. Longer. That's you. Could, so if that's you could make it 10 minutes and just... Give the summary of it, then she'll get the whole thing. She's like, I'm going to have to watch that one someday. After every watch. We we were watching uh,
0: Jason Lyle from Ancient Genesis last night uh, about this starlight and how that comports with a a short time frame. And within like ten minutes, he was knocked out.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Some subject (laughs) probably.
0: (laughs) It was was some heady (laughs) stuff. It was some heavy. It was heavy stuff. I was having a hard time with myself.
1: Now I was just
2: thinking thinking what says.
0: Anyone else? I think... You found it?
2: Uh, i have a Something else come to my mind about the blue okay. thing. I think it's true. Because there's always that old saying, true blue. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's still a vague regulation, but I think it's sure. a, lot, a lot closer than honor. Okay. I think it's in the Bible. I think it's when it's talking about uh, comparing someone with precious stones and laid right. with all the precious stones and, and all that. And then, then the person uh, uh, prostitutes themselves. Right. It's in the Old Testament, uh, but I believe that that's where it's at. But I think it's the it the color blue is true. Still, I'm still, still trying to find it. I have a very limited searching method. In
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: I yeah, I don't have a
0: very big concordance either. Yeah. And the word blue isn't even back there. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you know, they signify the commandments. Right. Right. So, <laughs> that's true. <coughs> yep. that, that word is true. Yep. That would make sense.